Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture, with me, Neil Denny. On today's show, Rachel Connolly, on her debut novel, Lazy City. Rachel Connolly was born in Belfast and now lives in London. She has written for the New York Times, New York Magazine, The Guardian, and many other publications. Her fiction has been published in The Stinging Fly. And today we're here to talk about Rachel's debut novel, which is Lazy City. Rachel, welcome to Little Atoms. Hi, thank you for having me. First of all, tell us how you would describe the novel. Great question. (laughs) Um, I still feel like I don't have a perfect answer, but um, it's a story about a young woman who experiences a kind of personal tragedy and moves back to Belfast, where she is from, to sort of try and make sense of things. Um, and kind of reconnects with some old friends, an old relationship. She kind of meets a new man as well. And this sort of um, slightly clashing elements of some of those relationships is what pulls the book forward as she tries to sort of like find out what her new normality looks like. So this main character is Erin. Tell us a bit more about who she is. Yeah, she is kind of mid-twenties. She was studying in London and she's quite a kind of dry and funny narrator that was something I really wanted in my book she has she's a little bit between lives I guess in the book because she was on a kind of she was doing a um, graduate like master's course and when her the personal tragedy happened it's kind of made her reevaluate the importance of certain things so in the book she's kind of working as no pair feeling slightly guilty about being off track in that way, but also sort of needing that time and space to kind of resettle things. And we meet her mother in the story. She's been brought up by a mother on her own. Tell us something about her rather strained relationship with her mother. Yeah, they they have a very strained relationship because they don't really have a good way of communicating with each other. Um, So they... There's a lot of friction and a lot of kind of bickering um, and they don't, they kind of know each other's perspective, but they never really truly see each other's perspective. And you don't see anything from the mother's point of view, but from Erin's point of view, she's able to kind of see that relationship with empathy and stuff when her mother's not present. But when her mother is present, the actual reality is something that she can never really like properly intellectualize. So. 
every time they meet they're kind of bickering um and they never really kind of resolve that relationship or kind of move to a better plane and well i want to go through some of the other characters the first is i mean kate who isn't really a character in the novel because she's already dead by the time the um the story starts but let's talk about why Erin, who she was to Erin, and why Erin is struggling so much with her loss. Yeah, so Kate was a close, a really close friend, like her best friend, basically. Um, Erin is someone who, because of, you know, what I've just said about her mother and her family life, um, or partly because of that, finds kind of close, intimate relationships quite tricky. Um, and she's quite, like, mistrustful of other people. And Kate is someone who she did have a trusting and intimate relationship with. So this particular loss has been really difficult for her to kind of process because it's almost closer than a friend in some ways, I guess. And that is part of the book is her trying to kind of, I guess, understand why intimacy with this one person is quite difficult for her to replicate as well. Um, So while Kate has died before the start of the books you don't really meet her so much as a character you only meet her in memories her kind of imprint sort of sits over the book definitely and can we say something about Declan who is Erin's other best friend from home yeah (laughs) they have a really nice um they have a really nice kind of funny relationship he is he's a kind of old friend um and someone who I think they have a really intimate relationship because they've known each other for a long time um and he but he's also quite sort of spiky and prickly um and that's part of their relationship too um and he's kind of very funny and sort of tells I think I really like their relationship because he doesn't kind of let her in away with things like he kind of tells her when he thinks she's being like out of line in certain situations and so on but yeah he's he's probably like her best friend now for the duration of the book and let's say something about the the two men who come into her life so mickey who is i guess the old flame tell Mm. us something about who he is yeah he's someone who um is in some ways quite mysterious erin because they both sort of pretend they're less invested in the relationship than they are so she's terrified of ever having a direct conversation with him about their relationship so they never really do um and all kinds of like misunderstandings come up in that sort of space on that gray area that that type of dynamic leaves and he's also I mean I think he's kind of the perfect relationship for her in a way because he is also very in the the way that intimacy is hard for her he never kind of pushes it but at the same time that means their relationship does sort of stay at a certain at a certain level and so there I think he's the kind of perfect perfect person for her in a lot of ways but there's elements of their relationship that are kind of like held back. And then the other man in her life is is Matt, who's an American expatriate academic. Tell us something about who he is and why he's in Belfast. Yeah, so he's kind of teaching, he's teaching a course at Queen's. He's kind of on secondment. And he's sort of like one of those people who is um, writing a novel, but, <laughs> but sort of like going about this by like making a lot of notes and... Um, um, spending a lot of time thinking about things rather than maybe necessarily doing them. Um, I have a lot of fondness for him as a character. <laughs> um, he's one of these people in life who procrastinates a huge amount and is kind of like in procrastination world doing all these amazing things, but in the real world, perhaps less so. Um, but they they kind of meet in a bar and 
um, she's quite attracted by the fact that he's quite sort of like high status in some ways. And I guess sort of like the kind of man that other people might think is attractive. But I think she sort of regards him slightly with, I guess, some slight disdain because I think she's always a bit confused about his interest in her, what he actually wants from her and so on. And um, elements of their relationship end up being quite transactional because she um, she kind of has to use him to like source some stuff at his place and things like this. Um, which for another person might bring you closer together. But for someone like Erin, I think it means you end up further apart because it's that kind of like forced intimacy, which she finds quite difficult. Yeah, I mean, I like the way you describe that there as sort of transactional because I wanted to talk mm. about her interaction mm. with with both of these men because I've just mm. described the two men in her life. And indeed, one could almost believe that this is setting us up for a sort of like, you know, which one will she go for mm. type of narrative. But it's not that at all. And it's she's dating both of these men, but like very sort of, I mean, that the fact that she's dating two men is very casually done. Um, mm. Even that is not really set up as like, oh, will they bump into each other over the course of the novel type of thing? It's just like a very normal thing for her to be doing. And indeed, probably acts as part of the fact, which we'll talk about later, about how she's there in sort of stasis and isn't really going to be able to move on in her life until maybe she's extricated herself from both of these relationships. Yeah, I think they um, they both are things. I think basically because of the relationship with um, Mikey, who's the kind of old flame, she is very, very nervous in that relationship of being the one who's like more bought in and being the one who's keener. And I think in some ways having another relationship is actually easier for her in that way because it's sort of like, okay, I'm not actually the keen one. I'm not the one who's kind of, um, I'm actually seeing someone else. So it's not important if this doesn't go well. Um, So I think in some ways I kind of see the American Matt as sort of like almost a bit of a distraction (laughs) from her, what she would probably see as the main relationship. And I think in, in other ways as well, she's someone who is, even while she's in this headspace, she's still wanting to see what like life has to offer. A bit, and I think she's really curious about American Matt because he he does come from a slightly more expansive world, like he's an academic and so on. And um, I think she's quite curious about the fact that he's quite different from a lot of people she knows, and he does seem to kind of like at least have something anthropologically interesting <laughs> about him. Um, and I think that was something that I kind of I think I was interested in the idea that when you start a casual relationship. It's not always because you're like instantly, immediately in love with the person at first sight, but it's often because you're kind of interested in them and their lifestyle and because they have sort of different things to offer. And I think that's something that both of these men actually have to offer, definitely. I mentioned Belfast. We haven't actually said that the novel's set in Belfast. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is um, it's where you're from as well. This novel is set... I mean, I guess present day, um, there's not really any sort of like time setting. You've sort of avoided doing that, although obviously they're using like, you know, they're using mobile phones and texting and WhatsApp and stuff. So it's clearly relatively contemporary. So tell us some ways in which Belfast has changed as a city over the course of your life. Yeah, well, so actually the book is not in the present. It's slightly in the future. So a lot of the stuff that happens in the book is stuff that, technically could happen but hasn't happened yet um so a lot of the stuff a lot of the bars and stuff I've I've made up the names they're based on real places but a lot of the the stuff that's happened in the book is just sort of like dialed up slightly um because that's something that I'm kind of I'm kind of interested in 
um, in fiction, but it definitely feels contemporary um, in the way that people use technology and so on, definitely. And I think that, I mean, so much has changed about Belfast in my lifetime. When I was a teenager there, it was very run down. Um, it was very, it didn't, get, it didn't get like mainstream shops until like way after other places would get them. There was bomb scares all the time. And that's not to say that it was still the kind of height of the troubles or anything. It certainly was not. But it was a very specific kind of place. And now it is much closer to other kind of developed cities in the Western world. And that sense of closeness between a city like Belfast and a city like Manchester was something I was kind of interested in, the way that all cities now kind of blend into one another and kind of lose their individual character. Um, Because that's definitely something that's happened with Belfast in in good and bad ways. um, But that's definitely something that's happened during my lifetime. And there's been so much like redevelopment, which is positive in some ways, negative in some ways. But this sort of the look of the city has really, really changed. Um, And 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 lots of positive developments um, as well. But I am kind of interested in that process of how like development makes everything sort of mush together and look the same. We can see in the novel this redevelopment the sort of gentrification of the city and it's not really happening to any of the the sort of significant characters in the novel they're sort of like seem out of that a little bit but like there were peripheral characters i mean slightly less peripheral maybe Anne marie who is the character Mm -hmm. that um that erin is working for but also there's a friend who's you know showing her listing after listing for like new build flats that she's looking for um, we see another off-camera character, a sister of a character who owns a really nice flat that they go to a party at. And yeah, I just wanted to talk some more about this sort of like idea about how gentrification of the city is, you know, clearly works out for some people, but leaves a lot of people behind as well. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, that specific thing is something I was a bit less interested in. Um, I, I'm i interested in kind of the aesthetic, I guess I was interested in the, the novel and the aesthetic elements of, of gentrification. But that kind of like looking at certain people who've been left behind is something I'm, I was a bit less interested in exploring, mostly because in Belfast, that's not really gentrification happens. It changes communities, but it's not really a city like London where it means that people can't afford to live in East London anymore and they've grown up here. That's that doesn't, that hasn't broadly happened in Belfast. Um, so that was something that side of gentrification was something I was kind of less interested in because of where the novel is set. And it's definitely something I didn't sort of foreground. But taking away that sort of people being unhoused or whatever sort of element of gentrification, I'm still very interested in the kind of ugliness of it, the sameness of it, the fact that it's framed as this really aspirational thing. And what is it you're supposed to be aspiring to? Like, you know, new build flats are broadly so badly designed. They're not, you know, they're, they're not, even if they're really fancy, they're always quite small. I was kind of interested in how how much something is packaged in versus how little it actually is in reality. And that's definitely something with gentrification stuff that I was trying to kind of explore. I think, yeah, that's definitely something that I, I, yeah, I definitely didn't intend it to frame gentrification as something that was like benefiting or marginalizing any of the characters in the novel. Cause I don't think that would really fit, you know, a Belfast novel. Like, there are property developers in Belfast, but you know, no, none of my characters fit that brief and, yeah, it's, it's, as I say, it's not really something that's kind of like caused this mass movement of people in, in that particular city. But 
it's the sameness and the kind of like very corporate feel of everything was definitely something that I kind of wanted to be like a background home in the novel and and that's definitely to what you say like these kind of fringe characters who are buying like tiny new builds or living in really soulless flats like that's definitely a thing that I I wanted to kind of pull out and just have like that sitting in the background because that very much feels like the background of life now to me. When you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. listening to Little Atoms. I'm Neil Denny. Today I'm talking to Rachel Connolly and we're talking about her debut novel Lazy City. And Rachel, you were just talking about how you're interested in the aesthetics of gentrification, but not necessarily, you know, seeing Belfast as a as a city that's now sort of divided along sort of like income lines in the in that sort of classic way that London is. But what we do see in this novel is Erin looking for a series of like, you know, sort of like casual non-jobs call center jobs and sort of coffee mm. shops and things and, and things that are like zero hours contracts type work yes. and things yes, like that. Yes, yes, right. yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, as I, as I was saying before, but I think to me, that's just, that's such a big part of everybody's life now for young people. The idea of like what a job actually is has just changed so much in the past 10 years, 15 years. And the idea that this kind of quite badly shaped work where it's zero hours, it's really faceless, you're doing work that is basically like definitively pointless. That is such a big part of every young person's working experience now. And many and many middle-aged peoples too. But I'd say that's like the defining experience of, of work currently, that it's 
it feels pointless. It's really bureaucratic. It's zero hours. The benefits aren't good. You don't get a, a good sense of job security. You don't get the sense of progression. Um, that was something that I think so many people can relate to, and not even on class lines or whatever, but it's very, very much like, I mean, there's, there is a group of people who are kept out of that, you know, like the kind of upper middle class or whatever, but everybody, everybody else <laughs> is not. And, you know, like Nepo babies are definitely not doing call center jobs, but lots of, lots of other young people are. So that was something that I was kind of interested in making it. Or that was something I was interested in making part of the book because it's just the way life is now. Like it's just such a big part of everybody's life. And I think it's um I think something I wanted to do with Erin as well, because she's a graduate, she does have more choice than someone who's not a graduate, and she is aware of that. And that's still the case. Like if you go to university, it's not the case that 90% of people go now, it's still only like 40 or 50%. Don't quote me on that exact figure, but it's around that. And I think that she's aware that she has choices that people who are not in the graduate group would not have so like the choice even to work in a call center and to be slightly snippy about that that's still a bit of a privilege even if it doesn't feel like much of one um, and she is kind of aware of that but the idea that work now is not something that you you're not expecting it as a young person to get a job that is feeling like it's a good match for your skills it's fulfilling that you're going to progress in three years if you work hard I just think people broadly don't feel like that and that's not most people's experience of the workforce and that was definitely something that I think is worth like being part of <laughs> of novels now because it's just like you cannot escape it unless you're a very elite type of person. And to what extent then is that sort of precarity of of employment and the sort of changing of the the ideas that once would have been, you know, you go to university, you get married, you have children, mm-hmm. life path is also reflected in the sort of very normal and you know not sort of sensationalized depictions of the lifestyles of these young people in terms of you know the drinking and the casual sex and the party drugs that we see in the book as well yeah there's a kind of like I know exactly what you mean like there's that kind of um there's a sort of like prolonged hedonism I think um and prolonged kind of partying and staying up late that I definitely notice in my own life and you know my peers and stuff I don't know if that's totally a reaction to not having the same kind of like life progress that we would have had if we'd been alive 20 years ago part of me thinks in a positive way that can be that kind of like partying being like part of your life well until you're like in your early 30s (laughs) probably even longer (laughs) part of me thinks that can be a reaction to like gender roles changing and women not all feeling like they have to have babies by a certain age and that women not being put under pressure to do that and part of me thinks yeah it can be a a sort of positive reaction to like ideas about heteronormative relationships and marriage being this kind of goal for all of us I think a lot of people don't feel like that anymore but I, I definitely agree that part of it is that you don't have a house to like go to B&Q and buy a picket fence for and paint it <laughs> so that's not where you're going to spend your Sunday doing you're going to spend your Sunday like hungover <laughs> and because you were out till like 7am the night before and I think that yeah there's definitely there's definitely positive causes of that but there are also the lack of stability and the lack of progress is definitely caused too I totally agree with that well conversely from talking about the um dragging on of the hedonistic lifestyle in Erin's life <laughs> we should also talk about the the role of religion in her life as well because that plays a large part in the or at least the church mm. not necessarily religion and what that plays in Erin's life the church is she grew up she's catholic um and she grew up 
having a kind of like the relationship that a lot of Belfast people do I think where you kind of go to church and your parents might say like oh we're not actually religious but you do still like go and kind of like you get taught religion in school and so on so the imagery of it is something you're exposed to and so like even if people don't tell even if you're told that this is something that you should like view cynically you do still like absorb a lot of that kind of imagery and a lot of the kind of um I guess the ethos of it from quite a young age and I just think that's like really formative and there's no way that it can't be if if that's what you're exposed to and I think that religion is a kind of weird weird one for Erin because she's cynical about most elements of Catholicism as many young people are but she's also like kind of there's a comfort she gets in the idea of just like any kind of ritual Um, and that's kind of like part of her relationship with the church is kind of like going there to have space to think and to have space to and I think that like in modern society we haven't you know in in the west it brought people broadly or not as religious as they were but we haven't really replaced some of the function that religion had with anything else and I think that her relationship with it does kind of show that like we haven't there isn't like a new thing that we don't even have new rituals to do when people die. I mean, like I know some people have humanist weddings, but they probably don't. And I think that religion does fill that kind of space for her that nothing else really seems to fill. And her skepticism with the organized element of it is definitely like one part, but she does still have like a pretty, you know, strong relationship with it. So that was something I was really interested in. I think something that's interesting about her relationship with religion is like, and you kind of allude to this in your question, but she never goes to mass with other people she only goes to church by herself and I think to her that's kind of like a slight form of rebellion where she's kind of saying like I'm not participating in the whole lot of it I'm only participating in some of it and like an interesting question for the reader I think is that whether you can actually participate in some of something Um, and that was a question I wanted like I definitely don't want everything in the book to feel um, like totally tied up and for people to just go away and take one reading of it like I kind of wanted people to think about whether or not you can take some of something. You can take bits of Catholicism or or is that or are you just Catholic if you're taking bits of it? Like that was something I did actually just want to leave as an open question. There's a point in the book where she's in church and she talks about the experience as if time stops and for that period of time you're in the church, nothing outside is is sort of moving. And that to me that sort of echoed the position that she is in the novel as well, in that she's ostensibly taken this period of time. She's left her course. Mm. She's come back to Belfast and Mm. her life is just ostensibly standing still while she sort of deals with the trauma. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting reading. And there's there's a lot about time in the book um, in terms of how to kind of, because back to what we were saying earlier about gentrification and stuff so much of the book is about things moving forward in a way that's actually quite unpleasant and I think like the idea of how to how to actually process like the forward movement of time (laughs) is something that we all struggle with as humans because it's something that we just it's so inescapable to us like we just age every we all do and like it's not um, and things change and there's no way to actually possibly get away from that it's like one of the de- definitional things that we all kind of have to share and I don't think that I don't think that we broadly I think many people feel like hugely uncomfortable with that and it's something that we kind of like try and avoid as much as possible in our daily lives and um, but Erin's been thrust into this weird position because she had a friend die and obviously someone dying makes you think of the passage of time like extremely literally um so time is like this huge preoccupation for her in the book as you kind of notice like 
this sense of like things moving forward and that being something that none of us can change and having to kind of like make peace with that which is obviously something that we all have to do but I think it's one of the hardest things that we all have to do and that was kind of that was interesting to me to kind of like look at in the novel because that's just like one of those things that we I don't think I don't know if any of us ever really make peace with that and maybe I'm just talking (laughs) about myself but I think that that's something that is just like one of the really hard things about being a person. You wrote a really great piece recently uh, around the the idea that every now and then that you know the press discovers that um, Irish people write novels and they're pretty good <laughs> at it. And I don't want to talk about that article per se, but um, just a few weeks ago on on the show, I spoke to Michael McGee about his brilliant mm-hmm. novel Close to Home, and I sort of want to talk about that novel as like a really good companion piece to this one. I know my Michael McGee's novel is great, and um, the. I guess it's a weird one. I think that maybe our books almost seem more similar than they are because they're out around the same time, <laughs> if that makes sense. And because yeah. they're set in the same place. Because um, I think, like, I, someone tagged me in something earlier, like a book blogger, saying that my book was influenced by Close to Home. But I was like, well, that's impossible. Cause yeah, that is impossible. <laughs> yeah, it's just, yeah, exactly, because it was published after. But I guess if you're reading it and you read, like, if you're reading it and you're not a publishing person and you read one and then you read the other, you presume that the second one is like borrowing from the first one I don't know but um the I yeah I really liked his book and I thought um I really liked his book on gender specifically and I thought the I really liked the female characters in his book but yeah I sort of wonder if they almost seem more similar than they are because they're out around the same time because I think that and I think that's something that is quite is is quite a big difference in our books is that and maybe it seems more different than it is to me but me and Mick are quite close in age like I'm 30 and he's like 34 but so there's not much between us in the years but a big thing that happened between us is the financial crash so like he went to uni while when he while he was at uni the financial crash happened and it happened before I went and that might sound like not a big difference but there was a thing in his book that I think speaks so much to how society and life changed for everybody after the financial crash which is that in his book, often the character is like, I went to uni and I did an English degree. I thought I'd get a great job and I don't have one. <laughs> and it's like, I remember reading that and being like, fuck, I never thought that. Like when I was going to uni, I wasn't like, oh, if I do an English degree, I'm going to get a great job. I was like, if I do an English degree, I'm going to work in a call center. Because when I was going to uni, when I was like, you know, when I was 16 and was preparing for uni, financial crash and that everybody was telling you, you're not going to have a good working life. <laughs> You're not going to have, if, unless you go to, like I did maths and physics at uni, because people, everyone was saying, unless you go and you do something really employable, that's, you're going to be working in retail forever. Like the, there is no way you'll get a job unless you do something that is literally like going to link to being an accountant. <laughs> and that was such a big psychological difference, I think, that I really noticed in his book. Um, it's something that is, is actually really sad, I think, in that there's a sense, and he gets it really well in his book of, the hopes of people in that slightly different generation to me were so much higher and were dashed so much lower. <laughs> Whereas I feel like for my generation where, you know, it would, literally when we were going to uni and everyone was saying like, you're, you're all fucked, basically. That was, that was literally the messaging. I think that the sort of sense of hope and dashed hope, it wasn't, it's not dashed hope. It's just like <laughs> kind of more, I guess, more realism in the world as it is now. But yeah, that's definitely, I think, a big difference in our books is that Erin doesn't think at any point, like, I thought I'd have a brilliant job. She never thinks like that. And it wasn't something I consciously thought when I was writing it, obviously, because I hadn't I didn't, hadn't read his when I was writing my book. But when I read his after, I was like, whoa, that is such a difference in what 
we like subconsciously felt like we were being promised and what the reality turned out to be because the promise just seemed different even with those four years it just seemed so different but which is depressing (laughs) but um, I think that yeah so I think in some ways even though there's some similarities to our book like we both sat in Belfast and so on um, and there's a lot of drugs and drinking although I I think that's a kind of just people of our generation thing because you get that in uh, I think you, you definitely get that in kind of other novels that reading at the minute too but I think that in some ways like the setting of our books almost makes them and the fact that they're both out around the same time almost makes them seem more like comparison points than they are I definitely think that so I've been talking to Rachel Connolly we've been talking about her debut novel Lazy City which is out now in the UK from Canongate Rachel thanks so much for taking the time to share it with me thank you so much for having me it's been a real pleasure This episode of Little Atoms was produced, presented and edited by me, Neil Denny. Little Atoms is hosted by Acast and published by 89up. The show is broadcast on Mondays and Saturdays on Resonance 104.4 FM. Thanks for listening. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns